Welcome back. Welcome back. Let me just say for the folks that are listening, um, we're talking about uh, Metro's pilot project around MacArthur Park to create vending, what are they calling them, vending districts or vending pilot? Street vending districts, yeah. Street vending districts. So there's one um, at the MacArthur Park station and you were asked by ELAC to engage the vendors. Mm -hmm. Um, What's so interesting about the way that you came at that was was really an understanding of all of these different forces that complicated vending. It's not just a question of where where they put their table, but it has to do with the community that is built around vending, the folks, how long they've been involved in it, like the different players that are part of it, Mm -hmm. the different relationships that it's created, the, the community that engages mm-hmm. with it, all of that sort of thing. Yeah, so so Carla from ELAC gave me a little bit of background about the project. As we know, street vendors have historically been in MacArthur Park, and it's very central to the vibrancy, but then also the economy. So the, 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 the project scope was um, on El Verado um, Boulevard between 7th and Wilshire, so partially on the metro plaza area and then also on the sidewalk there. The city and metro um, developed a vending program there. Carla brought me in because there was definitely a need to to look more deeply and intentionally of like what was happening spatially there. There are a number of things that programmatically also needed to be improved because it is a pilot project and so they're looking at you know modifying different elements in the program that need to be improved. So my, my main focus was like spatially, not looking at the programmatic elements. They brought me in right before the, the holidays in December out of urgency. Many of the vendors who were vending on the sidewalk space were being removed from that place. Law enforcement was coming up to them, either ticketing them or providing a warning to them saying that they had to be removed from that space. So let's just explain. So Metro had designated particular space on the plaza where people could be vending and they had to pay a fee to be able to vend in that space. Right, so they had to pay a fee to vend in that space and also that particular space, not every single table in that space or canopy in that space was a space that that was beneficial to the street vendor. Just there was there's certain dead zones in regards to pedestrians and so folks who were particularly in those spaces it wasn't to their their financial and business advantage to remain in those spaces, and so they wanted to 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 go back onto to the sidewalks or in diff- different spaces where they would be able to um, to to get the money that they need, you know, to pay their rent, to to pay for food. And, and, and just so yeah. it's clear too, that meant that because Metro had designated this particular vendor space, it kind of gave law enforcement the license to crack down because the vending ordinance hasn't passed yet. Right. So when you were brought in, that was kind of the, the reality that people were trying to figure out. Like long-time vendors, you said some of them had been there for One years. person, yeah. So m- many of the people I worked with, 5, 10, one woman in particular, 22 years. Yeah. And so ELEC brought me on and, and they had already established relationships with vendors um, in that area who had actually reached out to them. Um, the vendors that were part of the pilot program or the vendors that were the vendors getting... The vendors that were being displaced okay. had, reached out, had reached out to ELAC. So then um, ELAC reached out to me to work with the vendors and doing a spatial reconfiguration of the plaza space and the sidewalk space. In particular, because some of the some of the things that law enforcement were saying is that their presence was potentially um, impacting the safety of folks in the area, 
in regards to having clear pedestrian pathways mm-hmm. and ensuring that there's enough space for people with wheelchairs, people with luggage. I heard things from the street vendors themselves saying, you know, they've been told by law enforcement that hundreds of people with luggage are coming out of the metro station and, and that there's not enough space there. And so I came in to one better understand a few things actually. One is to better understand what are what were the actual spatial requirements necessary to ensure safe pedestrian access. So that's purely from like a a planning point of reference. So what does existing code say about Americans with Disabilities Act around accessibility for people in walkers and wheelchairs? What does the city code say in regards to complete streets and accessibility? But then also looking at what is NACTO guidelines, so best practices in the field say around that. And then looking at any other established precedents as well. But before like diving into that realm, what I typically like to do is just listen. I designed a participatory design workshop with the street vendors where one of the first questions asking them is, what are your needs as a street vendor? I wasn't even talking about the space itself. But you as a street vendor, in order to be a successful business owner, what are the conditions, what are the needs you have in order to ensure that that happens? And so um, I worked with about 25 or 30 street vendors who had been displaced from that area. We just had an open conversation about that. And they listed out elements that, that they need as a vendor. And, and simple things such as, well, I need to be where I know that people are going to be passing by. I need to be where I know that my merchandise isn't going to be kicked or destroyed. I need to be where I have enough space where maybe I don't get in conflict with with another vendor. I need to be where my friends are, because in case I need to go use a restroom. I need to be where, and then the list went on and on. Mm. And then then we asked them, what do you think your potential customers need and want? And and then they, they then started developing a list. Well... Our potential customers, they probably want to be able to easily access and see our merchandise. They probably want a safe space to walk so that they don't trip and fall. You know, and so they, they started developing these lists of what those, what those needs and wants are from two different perspectives. And then we also asked them, we had a map out of the space. So now that conversation now is being housed in space and asking them, Looking at this particular map, where are the best places to sell, the, the okay spaces to sell, and the spaces on this map where you might as well go home right. instead of sitting there all day long. Right. And so I had two different groups. I had about 12 to 15 people in each group. They didn't know what, what each group was creating, but they were being asked the same question. So with color pencil, they had three different color pencils. And essentially, they were zoning. They were, they were doing planning practice. Right. They were zoning for themselves as to, as to the best real estate, okay real estate, and, and, and real estate that's really not worth anything to them as a business owner. And so with that map, a lot of things became very crystal clear. One, as a planner, I could have come in and said, I did a spatial analysis, there's this much feet here and there's and we have this much space here i looked at all the precedents i looked at the city code and this is what you can do in space but i didn't do that because i already know for a fact if i would have done that i would have designed street vendors in certain spaces where are no go zones for them Hmm. because they're dead zones to pedestrians 
because maybe there are activities happening in those spaces that they don't want to be associated with, mm. right? Or maybe those are spaces where maybe their two or three friends that they have sat by the, the past five years aren't in those spaces. And so I could have come in with the best intentions, with all the planning research, and provided them a map and said, what do you think about this layout? And start the conversation from there. Right. Instead of just saying, what do you need as a business owner? Let's not even talk about this space. Right. What do you need as a business owner? What do you think your customers need? So you build from there. We build from there. We build from their existing knowledge. Now, I did about total about six hours of site visit there and observation on the site. Six hours for the average planner, that might be a lot. But I also come in with the humbleness that one of the women that was engaged in this had sat in the same spot for 22 years. She had done 22 years of observation, of data collection, had a successful business right. in that space, she, and, 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 and figured out what it took in order for her to meet her needs as a business owner, meet her clients' needs. Yeah. I will never be able to do 22 years of observation for right. a particular planning project. Right. Never. Right. She has thought very carefully. She's thought very stuff. carefully and has been observing pedestrian patterns, right. has been observing social interactions for 22 years in the same spot. So imagine the, the great wealth of knowledge she has. And then many other people have been there 25, 10 years, right? right? So six hours of observation as a planner is probably more than sometimes a, the way a lot of planners do who maybe just even look at a map and not even do a site visit, right? <laughs> But, but even someone who then does their due diligence in those six hours, that's still not enough. Right. And so how do we as planners or how do we in these spaces ensure that we ask questions that bring out that knowledge and then provide activities and tools and resources where they are, if they don't have the language, that they could be pick up a color pencil yeah. and color the language right. that they may not hold. Right. Or maybe we just don't understand yeah. the language in which and I'm not talking about like that. They spoke Spanish. I'm, I'm just talking about the kind of words that are being used right. to describe space. Right. Translated for us. Translated for yeah. us. Yeah. Not so much that we need to translate things for them, but how do we make sure that what they're saying we understand? Right. And so and so they began to to shade in those spots, the best spots, the OK spots and the worst spots. So that was the first exercise. The second is is we had cut out little rectangles to scale to with the map um, representing we could either be tables or tarps. There was two different sizes. One was representing two and a half by six foot table. The other one was like a two by four table. And then we also had little, little squares representing what could be canopies on the site. We then asked them, think about all the things you mentioned that you need as a, as a business owner. And think about all the things you said you listed at that your customers need. And also think about your experience in that space of like, how are people walking and navigating through that space? Where are they going? Where's the flow of, of people traffic going? And so with that, they then began to lay out these rectangles in that space that represented the tables. Mm. And, they, and, and without any prompting, they then began to dot the the pedestrian flow of traffic oh. people coming out of the metro at this particular because there's two metro mm. um entrances and exits there right. they're walking this way mm. and people coming out here are walking this way and that's why i put the table like this and that's why the row looks like this mm. and they began to collectively so i had two groups they began to collaborate and collectively 
share their knowledge amongst each other as the way people move through space, as what they need as vendors, and, and develop their own plan. And I didn't go in there and say, hey, you know, planning code says you need to be five feet away from a fire hydrant. The sky was the limit based upon those, those, those three things, their needs, customer needs, and then their zone. And then, and then the other group did the same thing, and then they, they shared the knowledge with each other. So there was a couple of people from one group that shared out, explained why their map looked the way they did, why they chose to put the tables in that configuration versus a different one. And then the, the other group did the same thing. As they're sharing out, I had the great honor and privilege to just like sit and listen, which was like planning gold. Because right. as they're sharing that knowledge with each other, they're not only sharing that knowledge of how it needs to be set up spatially, but they're also sharing best practices for doing business. Right with each other which is pretty remarkable yeah. we yeah. did this because we know that people coming out of this segment of the metro are actually coming going to the rapid line and so that's why we need to make sure we have as many tables here as possible right. and so they're sharing they're sharing best practices the other thing i did is is you know because planning could be a, a a very extractive process and one of the things i want to be really mindful of is how do we also leave behind tools that folks involved in the process can also acquire and use on their own if, if they'd like. So because the concern or the issue that was brought up by law enforcement as like having hundreds of thousands of people walk through this area, we wanted to also like ground truth or quantify some of these big statements being made right. in regards to how many people with luggage are really coming out, how many people with strollers, how many people are actually walking and moving through space. Right. So I, I trained 11 street vendors how to do the bike and pedestrian count. I translated the materials um, in, in Spanish, and the training was done in Spanish, again, um, through, through um, an interpreter. We, we did that. We did the bike ped count training. Then we did, uh, the street vendors did six counts in that space, different times of day, different, wow. different days of the lot. week. It's a lot because I wanted to really gather the appropriate yeah. data. Yeah to help inform this. They got it, they understood it, and there would be other street vendors who weren't part of the, the training that I did that would see their friends out there because they had a clipboard and they had a vest, they, they looked very official, right. and they were out there counting, they're like, oh, what are you doing? So folks, th their other street vendor friends would come, stop by for maybe 30 minutes, and then they were training each other oh, interesting. on how to do it. Right. I'm actually being harassed by the police over here where I'm selling. I want to do this count over there mm. where I'm at. Right. So they were, I didn't have to say, now you can go use this tool too. They saw the value in the tool as they were using it and they wanted to use that tool in their own way, right. which was really amazing. And, 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 and I hope that through follow-up, more of that is done. Yeah. And so now they have access to that knowledge as right. well. So with the data that was collected by, by the street vendors themselves, and I was there for the, for the counts, and so I was like spot checking, making sure like if they needed any help with anything to make sure that the data maintained its integrity. And also, you know, this is, this is you know, SCAG methodology, right? right? And so it's not some kind of tool that I made up or whatever. It's something that the planning field acknowledges as something that planners use to make decisions. So I used that data, also the, 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 the wealth of knowledge that the street vendors conveyed during the, um, the participatory design workshop. And then from that, I sat down and started to just do research. And a few things I, I looked at specifically, like I mentioned, I looked at what does the federal government say about ADA guidelines? 
What are precedents in the city in regards to maybe street furniture that we can maybe point to and look at? What are Metro's guidelines around, around how much space is needed um, at a particular bus stop? Because there's a very uh, busy bus there, uh, right. I think bus 200. Also looking at, what does NACTO say, right? This industry standard say. Well, NACTO says like you might need like eight to 12 feet in commercial districts, but there's also another NACTO guideline that's about, it's uh, called NACTO, I think, Global Design, that specifically talks about the culture and social aspect of the space and making sure that you design to that. And it's actually a new guideline, I think that came out this year or last year. And so, so looking at that as well, but also what are the city's complete streets guidelines say? Or, or complete streets resources say in regards to wanting a vibrant space. So taking all that information, but then also making the planning case and helping translate for the planners, all the things you're saying that you want to happen in regards to complete streets, like eyes on the street, mm-hmm. a vibrant place, yeah. a, a place where people are walking, biking and taking right. public transit, a place that people have a sense of community and that it is safe. All these things that you are saying are metrics of what you want the city to become are happening right here. And so documenting that report and and illustrating how each of those things are happening, but also how because of the displacement of them, it actually is harming the very goals the city has come forward with and wants to implement everywhere. Because what has happened now, and this is what the street vendors conveyed in their stories, is that now that they've been displaced from that area and in other areas, they're having trouble selling because because the folks don't want to stop long enough because they don't know if they're going to get in trouble too by a police if if they stop and purchase something from a street vendor. So the eyes on the street, there's less eyes. In regards to the, the, the community, now folks are no longer sitting next to their partner, which would watch their stuff while they would go to the restroom. What happened to that sense of community? It created more risk for for the vendors themselves, also more perceived risk for their potential clients who are now fearful of stopping. But it also, to a certain extent, created disharmony in the yeah. community because unfortunately, and, and, I, and I, I, I witnessed their, this when I was there, is that is that those folks who have been able to be in the program, pay the fee, happen to be in good locations on the plaza itself, they, they feel like they've made it. And, and it's caused disharmony between the vendors themselves as like, well, you're not in here. I've got a piece of what's mine. And so that, that communal aspect that was once there before has been, has been uh, sadly compromised. Yeah. And so there's all these unintended consequences that happen when, when planning starts at a place with good intentions but but sometimes doesn't also take into these other elements that are part of the ecosystem of the place from also just interpersonal relationships and and what that means and looks like i mean that's i think what's interesting to me about your approach to engagement because i think folks need to for one understand that all of your engagement took place within like two weeks time it was crazy like usually this is this is a much longer process but part of the ability to do it within such a short space of time and to really get a handle on these really complex issues is that you came into it really understanding and even if this wasn't your community in particular, yeah. what, to, what to be on the lookout for, what to listen for, yeah. what needs might be, how to hear those things and how to translate them to 
to these concepts that you described from NACTO, the, the guidelines, the things that we strive for, how do, you knew how to see these in, in that community, whereas a lot of times when you're coming in from the outside and you're not familiar with the community, you're not necessarily sure how to get there with folks. Yeah, and I, I, I feel like in a way my, my story comes kind of full circle in a way because, yes, I'm not from that community, and but I think what was very beneficial is that having an organization like ELAC that had those established relationships. So that was one way, one of the reasons why we were able to do it in such a short turnaround time was because because they already had those established relationships where they can then coordinate with the, with the street vendors to, to get them to one spot. Then I also had the flexibility too, is like, you tell me what time they they are able to. Is it one o'clock in the, in the middle of the day? Right. Then I'm there. Is it, is it seven o'clock? at night, then I'm there. And where do we need to be? Are we not able to get a facility? Um, so we did our we did our design workshop actually outside in the park, then I'm there. Then I can modify whatever we need to do in whatever particular space to meet the needs of those individuals. And I think the other thing is actually, Gerardo Sandoval is from MacArthur Park. Oh yeah. He grew up there. Right. In um, one of his classes, we uh, read his dissertation about TOD in MacArthur Park. And he's written extensively about street vending in MacArthur Park. And I, I very quickly went to those resources to get a better understanding. I, I, I reread the articles um, and I actually cited them in my memo to establish the the social, cultural, and historical narrative. And I think one thing that's really key too that sometimes is missing from planning documents is that social and historical content and cultural content. And that's the first thing I start off with in my memo. Right. Like a social site analysis. This is a social... As opposed to like an infrastructure. Yeah, and and I, I was fortunate enough to like know very quickly who are the the primary people that I should be looking at who have done work extensively in that community has documented and done that level of analysis because right. I would not have had time to do that that level of analysis that is necessary yeah. so I was able to rely upon one of my previous mentors work and apply that into providing a foundation in my understanding of the space but also help those who are reading the memo at the city or whomever to understand that social, cultural, historical context and narrative that that it would take us years to understand. And so how do we start off with that first? And and also how do we start off with listening first before then we, we dig into what is potentially possible in regards to city code? Because I think oftentimes we do is we work we work the other way around and then we've already limited our imagination. I don't want community's imagination to be li- limited because what it does, it's then it limits their reality. Right. The community's hella messy. I mean, especially <laughs> in, the, in the communities where you do have, you have to be really conscious of power dynamics. And so just because you've spoken to one group doesn't yep. mean that you've reached all of the members yep. of that group yep. or that you've met another group that also shares that community space, mm-hmm. you know, especially like South Central. It was historically black. It is now majority Latino. Mm-hmm. Both communities matter. Yep. Um, but sometimes they're not reached in the same way or there's an assumption that if I've spoken to a few folks from one group that then I've reached the community. No, that's not. And you have to be very, very careful. Having that knowledge is a huge leg up and getting a sense of the community, what you need to do, what you're open to hearing from them. Mm-hmm. It's, 
it's an essential part of the work. Yeah, and I think I think you brought up a really good point about like understanding that there are different, you know, in planning languages, stakeholders, right? Right. There's different. No, 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 no. <laughs> but like, I don't but know like, right yeah, no, there. no. But like, it's it's not right or wrong. But like, if like folks right. that are hearing from the planning world, it's like, how do we then translate that for them, right? Right. But there's different groups in the community, right? Um, and, and one of the things that I was very mindful of and when I when I wrote the memo is I said, look, I worked with 25 to 30 street vendors who had been displaced. And, and the interesting thing about their design, not a single one of them wanted a canopy. And the reason mm. being, and I'm going to circle back to different communities, the reason being is because it limited the one, how many um, tables could be in that area, and it limited how you can you can configure the space, how right. you can lay out the space. And what was important to them is to have as many street vendors as possible and make sure that there was enough space for pedestrians to pass by. Now, one thing I noted in my memo is that the thing is, is I didn't have the opportunity to one, talk to the vendors who are currently part of the program. All of them are using a canopy. I, I, and through observation, I noticed that some people use a canopy to display their merchandise. It may be working out very well for them. And then the other thing I acknowledge is like, I didn't, because of the short turnaround time, I didn't have a chance to interview pedestrians. I didn't have a chance to like engage them right. in that space or people that are standing outside of the bus. And I acknowledge that at the end of my memo is like, that some of the designs that I've come up with may need to be maybe in the long run incorporate those other groups into that conversation that may look a little bit differently right. than what we have here today right. and acknowledging also that real fact that what i'm giving you may not be the ultimate most ideal thing because I've, i'm also acknowledging a couple three other um, stakeholders three other groups of people kinds of people that are using the space that that we also need to incorporate into this conversation and just saying this is just a starting point right Right. That this conversation continues. Right. Going back to your point about changing the process, like this right. is just taking a longer view of, of it, it being a living sort of thing. Yeah. And so I don't, yeah. And, and like, it's interesting because like I see things as, as an ecosystem, which are living things. So are our cities, but sometimes the way our cities are designed, they're designed through a process that is not one that thinks of it as a living thing. It's like, now this is the design and this is what we're doing moving forward. And, and and I understand though, like well, the parts are interchangeable, which is right, worse. Right, right, and it's so it's like I can't interchange my heart with my lung, or yeah. I can't, you know, or even like if I were to have like heart surgery, like it needs to be the right heart from and blood type and all those things in order to make sure that I sustain and survive. Right, and so things aren't can't just be completely interchangeable, and things need to be treated as such that are living parts and so our processes also need to be living as well so yeah so those those are those are elements that i try to bring into the work try to bring into these these different spaces like i said look i'm i'm learning i i hope that i come in to these processes with the understanding like i don't know all the answers of how like how to do the engagement or how to how to make sure that i did ask the right question because i'm sure there was a also because of time there was five other questions I wanted to ask in the right. workshop that I couldn't ask because of time. Did I choose the right three? I, I may or may have not. But being honest as to what are the limitations of you as a quote unquote expert, or I should rather say like a quote unquote, someone who has access to the privilege of the, the vernacular of planning. What are your limitations in that space? And not being afraid to say, and these are the limitations. Yeah. 
I want to go back to something that you had said when you were talking about having the vendors present to each other. And I think one of the things that's that I love about being a community-based journalist is that I never know exactly what I'm going to write, and I never like to um, have a story and go looking for quotes. Like I, that's I can't work that way because I know that coming from their perspective, from their reality, they're always going to have a different way of talking to me about it or thinking about it or. They're, the way that they prioritize that in, in their mind is going to be different than the way that I come at it. And so it's it's I always learn something. I'm always hearing something new. I'm always coming up against a new way of thinking about things. When you were listening to the vendors, were there things that you heard that surprised you or that taught you something or that or that you saw a surprise, they surprised each other mm. um, through this process? Because I think part of what you do too when, when you're talking about both honoring their knowledge and leaving them with something. Mm-hmm. The street vendors themselves have often been, because of the, the effort to push an ordinance forward, they're accustomed to being part of an organization or a, of a campaign. But oftentimes, the stakeholders that you're going to come up against are, are not accustomed to that. That's, yeah. That's a lot. That's a lot. Yeah. Of things, but, but. No, no, that's great. I, I, I love the analogy you use for yourself. You know, you're not writing a story and then go look for quotes. And for myself as a planner, I'm not developing a rendering or a plan and then go looking for buy-in. And so I'm always surprised of what I hear. I'm, I'm always amazed of how, how aware and how in tuned people are in perceiving their built environment and social interactions. They are, they are hyper aware because their survival depends upon it, not right. just financial, right. but, um, their physical bodies as well. A couple of things that, well, one thing I think I mentioned that like surprised me is like they're, they're no cell zone. I probably would have designed something in that space. The other thing that surprised me as well is that they didn't want canopies, that they rather have umbrellas because what was more important to them was to have as many of their, their friends and neighbors have space. The canopies would, would prohibit that. And that surprised me. Um, one thing that didn't necessarily surprise me, but like the narrative that was being said around street vendors that I was hearing is like, they just want to take up all the space, you know, have every square inch and they don't want to make any room for pedestrians that like, that wasn't true. And it's not useful and, to them And it's not, it's not useful it's to not, them as a business practice right. to be on top of each other like that and not allow space for, for folks to come right. easily. Like. Like, it, that didn't surprise me, but, like, I think, like, the narrative that was being painted out there is, like, they're unreasonable in, in how they want to occupy that space. So then, you know, we need to f- design for them what, what that is. And, like, and like that wasn't true. Like, they were being mindful of that. And they were also being mindful about things like fairness in regards to people not monopolizing space and ensuring people had equal space. But they were also being very real about... so. I, I uh, developed three different designs for them, me and, and, and the person I work with doing design, and then I reported back those designs back out to the community, the, the same street vendors, and I had them go through a process of, of identifying which ones they liked, didn't like, or what have you. But one of the things too, one of the designs that had kind of the tables a little bit too close together, they also mentioned things about conflict between street vendors, even mm. though they were supportive of one another, but they're like, you know what? sitting together this close in the sun all day long, like it's not gonna be the best thing, you know? And they were honest about that, you know, about like what are their needs in terms of like self-care at their workplace to not get in each other's hair, but be close enough so that they could support one another if they need to change for a 20 or what have you. And so like little, little things like that, that they brought up, I wouldn't have known 
but but also like in the way they ended up designing things would maybe surprise others that had different narratives of what their wants and needs and, and right. whether they're reasonable or unreasonable people. And part of this work I, I see myself doing as well is ensuring that there's spaces for narratives from people themselves to dispel these perceptions right. that are untrue about them and how they use space and in the built environment and what have you. Yeah, it's just so crazy the, the way that the pilot program has completely changed the dynamics of the street. But it did also, it is one that has come with Metro's approach to creating a safer environment for people and more attractive environment for people to ride the trains. Well, and the question is for whom? Yeah. Carla and I had like a two-hour conversation. So after our conversation, I was going to take the red line home. So I got off at MacArthur Park and I was like, oh, I'm just going to kind of like walk around. So I was walking around that area for about an hour. Carla gets a call from one of the street vendors. It's like, I see a person here <laughs> that I don't, I don't know. Right. And they've been walking around yeah. for an hour. Right. I, I wasn't taking pictures. I was in jeans and a t-shirt. Right. They're concerned. They're like, what is going on? Yeah. And Carla's like, I think that's Monique. <laughs> and then they had to explain to the, because the street vendors were already on the phone chain, right. being like, there is something right. weird and they wrong. Know. They know. They, they know. know. Who comes through it. Yes. And that was me being there one hour. Right. So tell me about a greater group of folks looking out for each other right. than that. Right. When I was doing observation, I would have street vendors I hadn't met through the project. They would see me on the street. They'd come up to me and they go, oh, you want some um, champurado? Mm. For like, giving it to me for free, I'd go and I'd have to like actually like be like, oh, you know, I just ate or, but they were the eyes on the street and right. and they take care of each other. Planning is is, I think has all the best intentions, but sometimes that sense of community that that's given to you by like a like a Mexican hot chocolate, like like you can't plan that sometimes. Right. <laughs> like, but what you can do as a planner is like set up a process in what that that respects community right. set up the process that truly honors that like residents are the true neighborhood experts and set up that process so that that sense of community that all the things that like tactical urbanism or or complete streets or whatever the next big thing is in planning is hoping to create setting up a process so that those things that are there naturally continue to exist. Right. How do we ensure that social safety networks continue to remain in place? Right. How do we ensure that that the love that was expressed to me and amongst each other is able to remain in right. place? That's what makes, that's the yeah. building block of community. That's the building block of community. And that's what makes MacArthur Park what it is. Exactly. This is, this is a pilot project, and my hope is that lessons are learned in a pilot project, right? And then the next iteration of it, it's one step closer to, to what the needs are of the community, yeah. right? And that it is safer for the folks that, that currently reside there and currently use that space and yeah. navigate that space. Um, so so that's, that's definitely the hope. All right. On that note, I think yeah. that's it. <laughs> Thank you so much, Monique. It's yeah. been a pleasure. Thank you.